0: And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff.
1: My guest is Gertrude Sue, empath, hospice volunteer, and former discalced Carmelite nun from Malaysia who had a four-day experience with God. She is now channeling the E.T. Raha Shah, which we will learn about and more today. Gertrude, thank you for joining me and welcome.
0: Yes, thank you for having me on your channel. I'm really honored to be here, and I can't believe I am on your channel. I watch you very often, and to be actually here is feels very unreal.
1: Thank you. Gertrude, can you first tell us about your life as a nun, your four-day experience with God, and what caused you to leave the monastery?
0: Yes. So I can make it really fast. So when I was 12, I I was worried about an examination. So I made a pact with God. Help me pass this examination. And I promise you, I will become a nun. So when I was 14, it came back again. And I thought, of course, I passed and I forgot all about it. And age 14, it came back and I thought, How could I forget a promise I made to God? And so it started again. But then I I got interested in boys and I forgot all about it again. And at 17, it came back. And this time, 16, when I was 16, it came back. And this time I pursued it seriously. I entered a month after I turned 17. So when I entered into it, it started with this pure intention of looking for God. All through, I'm sure, the intention was that. But when, before I entered the monastery, I visited the nuns and I fell in love with the nuns. They are, you know, just angelic beings. They look like angelic beings, feel like beings from another realm. So when I entered, The first month was wonderful because they they hadn't had a new postulant in 10 years, so I felt very special and very appreciated. And of course, after one month, the holiday was over and down to business. And that was when I started to feel unaccepted as a person because My personality is actually the wrong type to enter an enclosed monastery where you pretty much have to be able to be boxing, you know. And my personality is just not that way. And I think because of this feeling of lack of acceptance outside, you know, I have to go inside myself to seek God, to... Because all through my life, I noticed I have a strong sense of survival. If I can't make a situation better, I would change myself so I could adapt better. And I adapted by going inside of myself. So I took the meditation very seriously. We have two hours a day. One in the morning and one in the evening. And So four years into it, one day we had a retreat priest come to give us retreat. So I described to him my meditation. And I told him that I felt very badly most of the time because I just felt I was unfaithful at prayer that I couldn't concentrate and I was distracted. But I told him that very often, I was just very happy to be there. I know God was there, I was there, and there was just that feeling of companionship. And he told me, Sister, God is giving you the prayer of quiet. And the prayer of quiet at Carmelite, uh, this Carmelite monastery founded by St. Teresa of Avila is a big thing because St. Teresa of Avila says, it is a supernatural gift of prayer or mystical prayer. And God gives it only to some and not to others. And she says she does not know why, but that is how it works. And as usual, being a good Catholic, I was afraid of pride. So I, I thought, if I think God is giving me this supernatural gift of prayer, and, you know, it's like a special Privilege. You know, I might get proud. So I was in that kind of turmoil and I went to the oratory. So I asked God, Are you giving me the prayer of quiet? And that was the first time I heard what St. John of the Cross called locution, the inner voice. I heard very clearly God says, The voice, inner voice, saying, Not yet, but I will. So shortly after this, I went into dryness of prayer. And then one day, I could feel that thing pulling me in. And I said, God, I'm sorry. I have been in dryness for months. I don't know how to go inside of myself anymore. So I kept fighting that. And one day, it simply pulled me in. And I was in, and it was like being possessed by God. I just walk around. Pretty much like now, because I, right now I could feel like <laughs> anyway, um, like divorced from the surroundings around me. I was just taken over and occupied by this presence within me, and it felt so precious. I felt like a pregnant woman, just you know, uh, harboring this this presence within me. And after four days, it slowly is and I get back into my surroundings, but not totally because right after that experience, I found that I couldn't concentrate on difficult tasks. My mind become simplified to such an extent that I could concentrate only on simple tasks. Well, for Saint John of the Cross, the prayer of quiet is infused contemplation. So with infused contemplation, the, the effect is you know uh simplifying and emptying of the mind. And so from there I enter into dark contemplation. That contemplation is simply what I think uh one of the mystic calls an inner gaze of love on God. So I just close my eyes in meditation. I look into that darkness. It's a void. It's empty. But there is that presence there. So I call it the dark presence that I know to be God. So I would stay in meditation and I could stay in meditation for hours just being with this dark presence. It is like a something, a presence that engages my attention, hold my attention. And so that, I felt, is just the union with God, where one feels the oneness with God.
1: It sounds like that you would go into what some of my near-death experiences describe as the black void.
0: Yes, because it's, well, you can't see God. That's why the mystics, they go into what, they can't say what God is, so they have to go into what God is not, the cloud of unknowing. And then the mystic, The seals where he went, in, he had a book about what God is not instead of what God is.
1: Now, you were a Catholic nun, right?
0: Yes, Roman Catholic nun.
1: In Malaysia, isn't the country's national religion Muslim?
0: Well, yes, it is. But I come from East Malaysia. It is Sarawak, right on the island of Borneo. And Sarawak is very different from Peninsula Malaya. Peninsula Malaya, the Muslim population is like two-thirds. Whereas in East Malaysia, Sarawak, we have a large population of christian catholic methodist protestant anglican and and i don't know about today but i believe it's probably still the same there are two-thirds of us chinese and most of the chinese are buddhist or they engage in ancestors worship or christian
1: so are you still able to connect with God like you did many years ago?
0: Stronger. So, like, uh, a year before I went, before I entered into all these things with, you know, the E.T Rahasha and all that, I was entering into trans meditation. And so I would... Just go into meditation, and I will enter into a trance state. So at the time, I wanted, anyway, I went from wanting to attend to union with God, St. John of the Cross way as a nun, to letting it all go, because I left the monastery, and then I started going into Buddhism, a few years ago. So I switched to enlightenment.
1: So why did you leave the monastery?
0: Oh, why did I leave the monastery? I was very happy there for eight years because I I found God. I wanted God and I found God. I never, never would have thought the day would come when I would leave. Well, what happened is the... As in every society, you get those who are. So I went through quite a lot of verbal abuse. There Mm -hmm. were like three nuns. It takes only three. And these three nuns will take turns to subject me to just criticism. And when one stopped, the other one will start. And so I said, well, I want to become a saint. And St. John of the Cross makes it very clear. We have to go through all this suffering where we will be purified. So I took it very well. I accepted it very well. And I think because of that, the mothers, they saw what was happening. And they thought, well, since she is taking it so well, that's her path. Anyway, I forgot I wasn't a saint. It built and built and built. And then I, my mind became, you know, the mind is very clever. So it went into, I went very much into St. John of the Cross. I said, okay, this is just the dark night, dark night of the soul. That's what I'm going through. And after the dark night is the reward, union with God. And then I started not eating. So my, my mind was finding a way to get up. I turned anorexic. And so I, I think what happened with that was I wasn't receiving love. And for some reason, I think it could be part of my background that I actually, I think a part of me went into the monastery seeking love because the nuns, When I visited them, they were just so loving and so wonderful. Anyway, I just couldn't get over not having that love. I remember writing, give me love or I die, that kind of thing. And then since I couldn't get positive love, when I I started cutting down my food, but it was because I was eating too much. So it was a natural, natural thing, but the nuns started to get worried, and all of a sudden, I was getting negative attention. And the more they worried, the more I cut. The more they were worried, the more I cut. Till I went from one hundred thirty pounds to seventy five pounds.
1: So you left the monastery, and then you became a Buddhist.
0: No, I stayed with my, I stayed with. <laughs> my religion. So I ne- I didn't believe in living and living the church. So I stayed with it. And one day, I was... So I continued going to Mass. But increasingly, I found myself getting very hostile during Mass. I just wouldn't participate. And one day, the priest, every Sunday, he would preach. Half an hour for donation, and he would wait for the second donation and stood there watching while we write the check. And one Sunday, I just got really angry and I decided I was going to take a break. So I just stood, I didn't leave through the back door while he was waiting for us to write the check. I walked right out the front, past him, and I walked out. Mm. So I was only going to take a short break. The break turns out to be quite permanent. So from there, I I went to an Episcopal church for a while, which was great. And then once I moved back here to Tucson, I went into meditation center. And one day it came to me that the Buddhists have the best meditation technique. So I went to the Buddhist temple, and I had a Buddhist monk taught me meditation. So I went into Buddhist. So the Buddhism, yeah. What happened was I, those days, I used my primary care as therapist because I say it's too expensive to go and see a therapist. And one day he told me, you know, I'm spiritual also. I you know, I go into Buddhism. So he gave me a book and I read the books by Thich Nhat Hanh. And I read, read, and I thought, my God, there is my path. Well, what happened when I left the monastery is I walked my own path to God. And my own path to God is what? Every person walked to God, you know, not influenced by organized religion. You can call it the pure path, that's pure spirituality, you know. So that was how I got into. So what I did with my path is as I walked this path, I took what helps me from Taoism and then Buddhism, but I didn't really convert. And so when it led me to Rahasha, the raw collective, the law of one, I find it easy to adapt into it.
1: What brought you to becoming a volunteer at hospice?
0: So after my, anyway, a year and a half after I left the monastery, I came to know my late husband through a friend, photo address, we corresponded two months. And so I flew over to meet him. And then I thought, I'm not going to go back to Malaysia anyway. So I we got married. And then he became sick with Lou Gehrig disease, 2010. He was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig disease. And so after he passed away, I have the option to sell a house, to pay my mortgage or go to work. I had never worked in my entire life. And so when the hospice nurse came, the CNA, Certified Nursing Assistant, came to take care of him, one day I was looking at her, and I thought, I can do this work. So after he passed away, I went into training for nursing assistant, Certified Nursing Assistant, and caregiver, so i worked that field for 10 years and during the course of my work they sent me to two dying patients and i found i have a gift with the dying the actively dying patient and since god gave me that gift i decided i should go into hospice but because of bad problem i couldn't work as you know, at the hospice, IPU. So I volunteer at the
1: hospice. What is the gift you have with the dying?
0: Well, with these two patients, the first one, you know, I am a little bit strange right now because I asked my spiritual team to come come in and help me. And I could feel their energy. <laughs> and it's affecting me. So, if I have difficulty speaking, sometimes it's just that. So, with the first patient, the sister told me he has been scolding us the whole day. And so, be careful, he will scold you too. So, I walk in and I greeted him. I have been there once before. He opened his eyes, he looked up, and he said, Oh, it's you. And he went into a nice sleep. And his sister, So every time he woke up, I would call the sister to him. And the sister said, you know, I have been here four days. And this is the longest I spent with him. And he he was very nice after that. He got up and he had meals with the family. And the entire 12 hours, all I did was sat by him. You know, and I took his hand when he needs it and I prayed. Then the other patient was a doctor who was dying. He was afraid to die, so he re- he refused to lie down. He thought if he lie down, he might not get up again. So they sent me there. I w- went inside, I took a look at him, and I choked. I, f- I felt like crying. So that was the first time one of my symptoms, I mean, one of the signs I recognized in me when I recognize an actively dying person. So I thought, they told me he's dying. They didn't tell me he's actively dying. So again, the whole 12 hours I stayed by him. And he was at the time in a catatonic state. So every time he get restless, I will hold his hand and talk to him and he calm down. So at the end of the 12 hour shift, I told his young daughter, Share it with his young daughter. She was only 20-something. She said, oh, that's so beautiful. And she went and held her father's hand. Well, most of the time, family do not realize that when a person is actively dying, they are aware. They are not there not or sleeping. They are aware. And when we talk to them, they can hear us. So when the daughter found that out, she went to the father and from those two instances i know i have the gift so with the dying because i am an empath i can sense where they are like when they are crying fighting death i find myself crying and i haven't experienced that very much recently but And then when they are, you know, kind of accepting in that, I could sense it that they are accepting it or when they are going in and out of their body. And when they are in the other place completely, I can sense it because I experience it through that person. When they are in this very nice place, I call it heaven on earth. I can feel that same thing. So I know when they are in that state that they not only don't need me, but I take care not to touch them because then it might bring them back to earth again and it can be distressful for them. And recently I found that I can sense their presence, their energy or the presence of the Disease, deceased loved ones. When someone is actively dying, it's like the room becomes very full. The energy is so strong. Or sometimes I could just feel presence. I think twice I have seen. Once it was like a cloud. So I asked Rahasha, and he said it was the deceased person. Another time it was a man in PJ tall and thin, and Rahasha told me he was a deceased loved one of the patient.
1: Have you witnessed someone's spirit leaving their body and seen some kind of cloud or something at the time of death?
0: No, because I have never, I haven't witnessed uh, death yet, not with hospice. I did witness it at the monastery. We had a nun who died of breast cancer. And at the last hour of her death, she looked into the top right-hand corner and her eyes became big with wonder and awe. Her eyes became bigger and bigger and her face became radiant. They shone until all the wrinkles left her face and she looked very young. And then she put her head down three times and passed. So I knew she saw something there.
1: What is the most amazing experience that you have witnessed with the dying?
0: Well, there was a patient. So I went in and sit with her and she was in a state of coma. And with patients, I know they are actively dying. There are some signs uh, one of the signs is the eyes, you know. Even if they open their eyes, it's opaque. You know, they can't see anything and they can't focus. And the other, very often, is the mouth. You know, they don't have the strength to close it. So with this patient, she was lying there. So I sat down and I start communicating with her, talking to her. You know, silently with my mind. I very often just. Gently touch them, let them know I'm there. So I'm not very good with talking loudly, verbally. I always do it. When they're in coma, I always do it mentally. So the nurse came and I went to talk to the nurse and I heard a cry. She sat up straight in the bed. So I went to her quickly and she looked at me straight in the face. And I could feel tears rolling down my face. I wasn't crying, but I could feel the tears rolling down my face. And then she put, she lay back down and she didn't open her eyes again. And from that, I knew she could hear me. So that was a powerful moment. Another moment was quite recently, you know, when I entered the room, I could feel this Onoji rushing at me. And so I so I asked the wife permission to touch him and she asked me, he's still here, isn't he? I told him, he's her. I think so. And her eyes filled with tears.
1: Have you ever seen the dying talking to somebody who wasn't there physically? Like as if they were yes. talking to beings that were there to help him cross over?
0: Yes. There was a patient quite recently. She was looking up above her and she kept talking and reaching out, reaching out. So I knew. So I knew she was seeing, you know, her deceased loved ones or someone.
1: So how did you come to Channel Rahasha?
0: So, you know, 2020, that's when a lot of these things happened. I just wrote in psychic, psychic readers and Trump. So that was so I read, I watched all the psychics, but I was drawn to Diane's tarot. She's very genuine, down to earth, straight to the point. And I, I like that. I'm very accurate. So I had session with her. So my first session, she told me, you come from Artour's. I said, uh, one of those things. My late husband was into all that. And I used to think he was so gullible to believe everything he read. You know? So I just dismissed it. And then one day she said, I channel Rahasha. And that was when I thought of all persons, she so genuine and down to earth, how could she believe in ET, much less channel and ET? So after a few months, I decided, that's it I don't want to have anything to do with that but I wanted to watch the last rahasha life so I was there and at the end of his message he takes questions so I just I asked my question what is the force in my head and then but mentally I was challenging him tell me something anything to keep me here or, I'm out of here and he won't see me again. He took my question and he told me that I was going through an amazing awakening. And he said, what is unusual about that is it's usually reserved for ascended masters. Uh, the fact that I had awakened in other spiritual reincarnation. And then he said, the force is the ascended masters trying to push me up a level higher. And that message struck me so much that I went for sessions with him through Diane's Tarot. And after five sessions with him, he suggested I channel him. And so I spent one and a half years working very hard to channel him. So I thought it's very easy. All I have to do is get the ground ready. And I know how to get the ground ready. So I spend like three hours a day in meditation. One at three. Something will wake me up at 3 a.m. And then mid-morning and one in the evening. And he told me. So I kept asking, me, asking him, when will I be able to channel you? And I said, Once I get the ground ready, can't you just come in and talk through me? He said, no, it doesn't happen that way. A few months ago, I found myself finally channeling him.
1: What is your process of channeling?
0: Channeling, I go deep into meditation. And then I ask him questions. And after a while, I just try to go deep into myself into my subconscious and then what what i do with him is conscious channeling it's not trans channeling so i could see or feel the words coming in and sometimes usually when i go into it i have no idea what he's going to say or talk about but when the words comes in i will follow the words, mouth it, you know, and then, and sometimes I will suddenly see, you know, there must be like download, I will certainly see things or images, even without words, and I would just, almost like taking a detection. I asked him, he told me, I have trans him before. He told me, you know how to do it. But most of the time, he told me, what you are doing is conscious channeling.
1: Hmm.
0: So he told me to kind of go for the next three months, go into deeper, you know, to achieve that trans-channeling, go into it deeper on my own and learn that trans-channeling first.
1: Who is Rahasha, by the way?
0: So Ra Hasha is an ET channeled by Diane's Taro. Diane's Taro from small, she knows she comes from the Ra Collective. Well, she knew uh, she didn't put it together until much later that she comes from the Ra Collective. So she tried very hard to channel the Ra Collective who shared the law of one. But that Group didn't come in, so this group come in, and they are also from the raw collective, though not the raw collective who share the law of one. And it's actually a collective of 20 million. So Diane couldn't see herself traveling 20 million. So she asked Rahasha, she asked this raw collective if one of them could step forward. Rahasha stepped forward. Uh, She asked for a name. He said, well, when I was in the fifth density, they call me Rahasha. So that is where it comes from.
1: How often are you channeling Rahasha?
0: I meditation. So I am right now still in the process of training. Because what I want to attend to is trans-channeling. What I do now is conscious channeling. And I have been doing the videos where, you know, so how it came about was I started channeling him in my meditation. And one day I was doing video when I could feel his presence very strongly. And something told me, you know, why don't you try it now? And I found myself channeling him. So I've been doing that and the life, I did that a couple of times, but not very much. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to concentrate more on learning how to trans-channel him. Because I conscious channeling or direct channeling is not clear and pure. Not, not as clear and pure as trans channeling. And so for me, I just want to get to the trans channeling.
1: So were you saying Raha Shah is from the Ra collective?
0: He, he is from the Ra collective. He used to be on Venus, the planet Venus, when he was in the fifth density. And then in the sixth density, he's now in the play, Plei, play this.
1: The Law of One is pretty popular. Can you tell us about that?
0: Well, the two main things that he keeps driving through is the service to others and then the oneness with the infinite creator. And what struck me is those two are very much my path. When I left the monastery, I went to see a priest and. You know, every, I just thought it's impossible to live this way. I turn left and and it's sin. I turn right and it's sin. So I decided I was just going to throw the concept of sin out and keep to love of God, love of neighbor. So from there on, those are the two I kept to because Jesus said everything is within those two. And so when Rahashah talked about the infinite creator service to others, it falls in completely with that.
1: What is the most fascinating thing that you've ever learned from Rahashah while channeling him?
0: There was one channeling, which I find really beautiful. He was talking about us being light workers, and, you know, being beacon of light and that, you know, our light, that we are lights amongst all the others who have awakened or who are on the planet, wanderers on the planet. And in my mind, I could see the earth lighting up with all these lights from us you know the wondrous the light workers to elevate the vibration of the earth so that was one that I found really beautiful but what I what is really beautiful for me is the ability to go to his planet so one day I made a pledge to channel him until I die, you know. I just, I made that pledge. And then I could feel myself being lifted up into this realm. It's slightly higher. And it was just beautiful, light, joy. And I could feel like white beings around me celebrating, rejoicing. So at a session with him, I have a session with him monthly through Diane's Tarot. I asked him if that was real, and he told me indeed. And then I found from him that I am able to go up at will now, if I want to, to his planet or to mine. So I actually assessed my planet when I was a nun. So when I was a nun, in meditation, I will find myself being transported to this very, very nice, beautiful land. It's like a land of light. There's nothing there, just lights. And in that big, spacious, bright space was just God and I. And I thought God created that to help me through my life as a nun, through the difficult parts of it. And then Rahasha told me, no, that was actually the, your planet.
1: Is so, that Arcturus?
0: Arcturus? No, he told me. He told me I was there at one time, but I'm not actually from Arcturus. I am from another universe that has not been discovered yet. But he said the James Webb telescope might discover it.
1: Do you feel like your life as a nun was preparing you for what you're doing today?
0: Yes, I believe I was meant to stay there for that period of time. And because I really believe if I had not entered the monastery, I wouldn't have learned to go inside of myself and found God, you know, the infinite creator. Although the way they understood it, I told him about this experience. He said, What it was was an awakening, and you were experiencing the oneness, you know, the oneness with the infinite creator. And he's right, because from that experience, I experienced the oneness with everything around me. And that led me to what I call the God of the universe. I realized that God, that the, I shouldn't, you know, I always, I'm careful not to say this, but we always believe that we Catholic have monopoly on God. You know, I realized that this God of the universe is a God that every man on earth who wants to seek him would find him. And that is why people from any parts of the universe, when they found this, they call supreme being or God, infinite creator. It's the same, the same, the same oneness.
1: Are you saying God is like a universal consciousness on the other side that creates everything?
0: That was a concept very hard for me to embrace because from my own experience following St. John of the Cross, God is a personal God. So I asked Rahasha and he said, no, God is too immense to be a personal god so what i understand it to mean today is that god is this immensity and he wants to experience himself and so i had an easy way to see it you know like a mirror it could just shatter into pieces and this is us the creation the universes of course, he would remain whole and being God. And so all these particles are God himself. So we, we come from the divine. We are the divine. We will go back to the divine. So it's like saying we come from God. We are God and we will go back to God. So there are people, I mean, my late husband would, tell my very Catholic family, we are gods. And of course he expect a reaction from them because it would be blasphemy for us Catholic to say, we are gods. But that understanding makes sense. But I feel him, you know, he is everything in my life. So at the end, I come to the conclusion, it doesn't matter if I see him, as a personal god or immense city as long as i feel him and you know he is a big part of my life because for one thing so i oh yeah to continue on the story so april rahasha su- suggested last year april that i start a youtube channel Oh, you know, I would I wouldn't be here if it weren't for him. So I I fought it, and then but I did it, and then two months later he told me to grow my channel. It would be good for me to collaborate, and I fought that really hard because until then I lived like a hermit, you know, and to live live that form of life trash into this community. Mm-hmm. So I did it. And so I did it because, like, coming on your platform, he wants his message to reach the entire world, you know, all the riches of the world. And your platform is the best because people from all over the world watch you.
1: What is his message?
0: The, you know, infinite creator and service to others. He drives that home to us very often. He has other, you know, Messages like uh, he will deliver certain teachings, but his main message is that. So recently I I look at his message and I kept thinking there is something missing there. What is it? You know, service to others. And then I went through a mini dark night and I come out from it and I realized the missing element, of course. Is the infinite creator. You know, so I have been like stressing on service to others, but the whole thing of service to others, uh helping humanity through the ascension process to fourth density. That is the main thing. You say what is his what is his main message? That is it, you know, service to others because. To move from one density to the other is only the service to others. And that's why he's here helping us.
1: Would you say that Raha Sha is the same as Ra, commonly associated with Ra, the law of one?
0: Same collective.
1: Same Same being or a being within that same collective?
0: Yes, same collective, but not the... The collective who share the law of one are uh, subgroup seven. Rahasha is subgroup one. Subgroup seven means they are very close to crossing into seventh density. So he's like the young, rah- Diane's tarot called him the young bra. All
1: right, so you have a YouTube channel now. What is it called and what kind of content are you producing?
0: It's called True D through channeling spiritual messages. So what I do is I do videos on whatever messages that come through. And uh, so I channel Rahasha and Archangel Ashram through Rahasha, Archangel Ashram. Mm -hmm. Told him he likes me to be the um, sport person on YouTube channel. But I haven't done very much of those channeling, so I'm going to go into it more. And Emmanuel, so one day I was channeling Rahasha and I suddenly found my voice changing. So I asked him at the following session and he said that I attracted and aspect of Jesus called Emmanuel so and I go into different things like for instance my life as a nun there and self exploration because when I look back on my spiritual life I found that a lot of the work was engaged in shadow work
1: what do you mean by shadow work
0: For me, it was just getting to know myself in all truth, you know. So shadow work is like through the years when I adopt a way of being brutally honest with myself. So there is very little about myself that I do not know. Because if I find that I shy away from a certain area of me, That's when I look at it and if it needs work on, I work on it. And sometimes it takes years. And how I work on it is I keep looking at it. For instance, I was a hopeless people pleaser. It took me more than 10 years to free myself from it. And how I did it was I kept looking looking at myself. Well, you know, I used to not like dogs because dogs have, I didn't realize at the time, not all dogs are that way. But there are some dogs who will go to you with these pleading eyes, you know, love me, love me. And I see myself in those eyes and I used to really dislike dogs because of that. And it was from that I realized this, pleasure nature in me. So I that was how so shadow work. Shadow work for me. Is it was like just stripping the layers. I read um a book by Bob John Paul II when he was a cardinal, the acting person. And after I read that book, the effect was I found I could step away from myself and wash myself. And so I started stripping the false layers. You know, you strip one layer, this another layer, another layer until you arrive at that genuine self. So for me, shadow work was that. And there is a Jordan Peterson, He he talks a lot about that. And he said, let out let the bad guys out to play. Because when you repress, suppress this darker side of uh, ourselves, they influence us indirectly. So it's better to bring it out, confront it, know what it is, and, you know, work with it.
1: Have you ever considered what the monastery would think about you channeling? Not just the
0: monastery, my own family, my very Catholic family. So I hid it for a while, and then a few months ago, I thought, I, you know, I find it very uncomfortable, like living a lie. And for me, hiding this is like living a lie. So I just came out and I told them. And so one day I told them, if you are not comfortable with me leaving, leading the family rosary then just let me know and they say it's okay that's your path you know we walk our path you walk your path but they are not comfortable with it so the nuns would think i will go to hell
1: (laughs) (laughs) do people in malaysia generally believe in ets
0: i don't know about today but no no i would say generally no There might be a few those who, I mean, nowadays with YouTube and Facebook, you know, you see a lot of this. So the younger generation are more exposed to it, like my nephew, you know, he he will mention something like the ET and they are more open to it, but the older generation, no.
1: Well, after watching this podcast. People may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Should they do that through your YouTube channel or somewhere else?
0: Yeah, they could ask that through the YouTube channel, you know, at the comment section. And on my YouTube channel, at the information, there is my email also, my website, and my email. Adi.
1: What's the name of your website?
0: Trudysu.com.
1: Well, Gertrude, before we finish up, can you give us one last positive message?
0: It came very strongly to me this morning, The that of, you know, the divine. So what came to me was the term divine spark. We have that divine spark in us, and that is the divine, the God in us. And that is why in the hearts of all people, there is that longing, that craving, that yearning for God, especially when, you know, you we get engrossed in material things and everything and you don't feel it. But once you clear all that or go into meditation, you know, we can feel that divine in us. So this morning, it came to me very strongly. We come from the divine. We will go back to the divine. So the divine spark, God, the infinite creator, the supreme being, he is everything. The beginning, here, and the end. So that is the message, you know, that Divine spark of love, unity, the infinite being.
1: Gertrude, thank you for that message and thank you for being my guest.
0: Thank you for having me here.
1: Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast.